This boy and girl coming home from school look quite content with life. And why not? They're looking forward to an important date, dinner at home with the family. First of all, daughter has changed from school clothes to something more festive. Dressing a little makes her feel and consequently look more charming. Even the table takes on a special air. Mother, too, changes from her daytime clothes. The women of this family seem to feel that they owe it to the men of the family to look relaxed, rested, and attractive at dinner time. Brother is spending an hour before dinner catching up on his homework, but he won't spend a lot of time on the phone either. When there are several members of the family to be considered, it is not a good idea for one member to monopolize the phone. Father, too, looks forward to this date with the family. He has had a hard day at the office. A simple centerpiece made from some flowers which grow in the backyard is another of daughter's contributions to the dinner. Well, the dinner date has begun, and they're all happy about it. Napkins on the lap, the fat... <laughs> Someone had to put a stop to that. Because huh? <laughs> isn't that what you experience every day? You know, that? What we're doing in this series is we're going to look at these three areas, family life, manhood, and womanhood. And we want to celebrate God's design, His intended design for the crucial roles that we are to play in, in life. In every part of our life, there is this picture-perfect like what we just saw, and then there's reality. And there's the contrast between the two of them. And, and in, we have in our mind the picture-perfect image of what we like, but then there's the reality that we all live. It's like when I try to draw a person. If my, if my son says, hey, Dad, draw Thor or draw Captain America. In my mind, I can picture him. <laughs> in my heart, I can picture him. And then I'm like, and just looks so dumb. And I, I'm like... And they can draw much better than I could. But I just can't draw. The, in my mind, the picture I have and the reality that I come up with is just there's this huge gap. And so if I need a picture, I ask someone for help. But this discrepancy between picture perfect and reality is probably why the art of Picasso became so popular. Because in Picasso's art, you know, you get these strange figures. So when he drew a face, here's a picture of a Picasso piece of art. It sort of looked like a face but not like a real person. And this kind of resonates with how we feel compared to the ideal. This is what we experience in life. We have this image of what life, like, for example, family life. We have an image of what family life should really be, you know, the picture perfect. But then our experience, you know, is different. And sometimes there's lots of pain related to our experience. The Bible tells us, though, that, the human, that humans, we, have been made in God's image. So the ideal picture, it's in our mind due to the fact that we know the way that things innately should be, but our picture gets skewed because of sin. And so we, we've strayed a long way from the ideal of the picture perfect. What we're going to do, though, is we'll look in this series back at God's original design for family life and, and marriage. And as we look at the elements of God's design, you might feel like your life is missing some of the pieces of the ideal. I mean, if we're honest, we, we will see that. Um, but we have, you know... A couple of truths, two truths that I want to start with, because it, we have different responses to the picture of a perfect family. When we, start, when we start looking at this morning's message and some of the things we'll talk about, it's hard not to get discouraged about our reality. Here's two truths, though. Number one, there is no one who's perfect. Nobody is perfect. There's no perfect family. There's no 
perfect people. We all struggle no matter how we appear on the outside, there's, there's struggle. There was only one perfect person, that was Jesus. And, you know, and he, he was part of an earthly family that was human and imperfect. A second, the more we, we choose to live according to God's design, the more we get to experience God's blessing. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to experience his blessing in life. And you might be at a point where you're discouraged, but just remember, God's not done writing the story of your life. He's not done. You're somewhere in the middle. And God is writing your story based on your choices. All the twists and the turns of our story depend upon our decision to understand His will and then walk in His ways. So let's go back. Let's look at Genesis. This is the beginning of, of time and creation, basically. This is the creation account. In Genesis 1, 27 through 28, you get God's original design for the family. And it says this, So God created man in His own image. That word image, it means that we humans, we share in, in part of God's nature. We're limited, but we share in a part of God's nature. We are intended to represent, in a sense, God on this earth. There's a part of, you know, he's made us to be like him. So we made in his image. In the image of God, it says, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue means overcome it. Okay, And it says... Have dominion. That has to do with taking authority. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we've been created and placed in this privileged position on this planet where we have a role to play and we have something called a mandate to fulfill. This, this passage, these two verses, is something called the great mandate. Or the great, you know, it's kind of like a great command by God, a great order that he gave. And so much of life is wrapped up in these two verses. You get to see God's design for family life and how that involves a man and a woman who are commanded to fill the whole earth. And in order to fulfill, well, okay, in order to fulfill the mandate, you know, a man and a woman are both needed, right? You can't fill the whole earth without that. This is, this is what's required in the mandate, a man and a woman. You can't multiply without, you know, both the male and the female. If you're struggling to connect the dots on that, we can talk about it later. We'll be back at the guest and info table. You can talk to your, you can call your mom. It's Mother's Day. And, you know, <laughs> you're happy. she'll be happy to explain that if needed. But this is God's design. Marriage of a man to a woman is the building block of families. This is the building block of families. This is not cultural. This goes back to creation. In chapter 2, you see more of God's design and intent. This, this is what God's pattern, before cultures ever existed, this shows that this is God's pattern for all marriages of all time, a man and a woman. Look at the next chapter, Genesis 2.23. It says, Then the man, this is Adam, Then the man said, when he sees Eve created, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so in this first really, uh, you know, joining together, this first marriage, there is this separation. There's this leaving father and mother, there's a separation. Then there's a holding fast. That word means to cling or to stick to. And then there's a uniting. These two become one flesh. There's this, there's this new unit. And this unit reflects 
the God who made them. This definition of marriage does not change throughout the entire Bible. Consistently, Christ followers are we're told to honor the marriage um, vows. And one of God's core purposes for marriage is to raise godly children. When we honor the vow that we've made and we actually grow our marriage, what we're doing is we are you know, presenting really a beautiful thing for the kids to watch. It's not a perfect thing, but when we honor our marriage, when we honor our marriage and we focus on growing our marriage, the kids get to see something beautiful. They get to see something not perfect, but beautiful. In a sense, they get a, a, an audio-visual instruction manual on how to make relationships work. For instance, when, when you're making family plans and, and one person is considering the others, if parents are considering the other parent and they're considering the kids, they're looking out for another, one another's interest, then what a picture it provides for the children. Even when tension exists, if one parent wrongs the other parent in anger, but then goes back and makes it right, the kids get to see forgiveness in action. They get to learn what it takes to make relationships work because none of us have perfect families. None of us have conflict-free or tension-free families. We all face challenges. And so conflict can actually be an opportunity for kids to know that they don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You straighten things out. You clear things up. As parents live in faith, as parents serve others outside of their family, as they give of their time and their resources to noble things, the kids, they grow up in an environment where they get to see God coming through and providing for the needs of our family as we seek to be a blessing to other families. Kids get to see something really powerful. They get to see a picture. And God's desire is that strong families would raise strong kids who make a real difference in our world. But in our day, marriage is is kind of down. Many are trying to redefine marriage, trying to expand marriage beyond one man and one woman. And this definition, it's gaining traction in our culture. You're, you're all aware of that. Because very few understand the power of a marriage vow for life some don't see the value of a marriage ceremony or a vow anymore. In our culture, it's just not honored. Honored or marriage is just not a big deal. And one reason we need to honor it, though, one reason why we need to still hold up the marriage commitment, you know, that we make on our wedding day is because the strength of our nation is founded on the strength of our families. God established marriage before He established cities. He established marriage before He established laws, courts of law. In any human law or human institution, marriage and family are the foundation to the establishment of a society. I want to show you a, a, a quote. But 80 years ago, uh, British anthropologist J.D. Unwin, he was a man who authored a book called Sex and Culture. And notice this is not the actual book cover. It says at the bottom right, in case you were wondering. In case you have that book, that's not the book. Well, this is not the actual book cover. <laughs> but he was an anthropologist, and he reached a conclusion after conducting exhaustive research to investigate the assertions made by Sigmund Freud. And Unwin, what he discovered, that Freud's call for the liberation of sexual behavior had grave consequences on a society. Look at this. Uh, it says, in his research... Unwin chronicled the historical decline of 86 different cultures and found that strict marital monogamy was central to social energy and growth. This is key to a society. 
He studied these different cultures and societies, and he found there was a breakdown in the culture when strict marital monogamy was disregarded. Indeed, he found out no society flourished more than three generations without strict marital monogamy. So marriage, it matters. It matters to our kids. It also matters to our culture. It matters to our country. There's, there's so much damage done if we ignore this. And so, now you might be right in the middle of, of damage. And I want to encourage you, God is gracious. He's gracious to love us. He's gracious to um, lead us and to help us even as we'll choose to, to get in line with him, to stay in line, to walk with him, to, to own things and to deal with things, but to move forward with him. He's, he's gracious to, allow, to help us rebuild things. Living by God's, and this is, this is the top of your listening guide, living by God's will and God's design, it helps the next generation really thrive. What we're really looking at this morning is what happens to our kids and their kids and their kids? What happens down the line several generations from now? You see, our own story becomes a part of our children's story and their children's story in a very real way. Because our lives, all of our lives here, have a ripple effect to the next generation. And God, he wants us to live with this in mind. We don't often live with that in mind. We often live only for us here and now. God wants us to think about how there's this ripple effect to the next generation. You actually see his desire for this in Psalm 78. Let's look at this together. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. It reads this. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Now you, you start hearing the generational flavor of this passage. We will not hide them. You know, we're not going to hide the things that we heard from our fathers, he's saying, from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. There's this perpetual, you know, like storytelling going on so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to the Lord. So he he lays out in this passage how to have an impact on the next generation. How do you leverage the ripple effect for the benefit of your kids? First, we aim to do this. We aim to communicate God's faithfulness. That's verses 3 and 4. Where he says, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we won't hide those from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. You see, every story has families that circulate through your, through your family. You get together with your uncles and your cousins, and you have these stories that you always tell year after year. We hope that some of those stories are, are, are of value to pass on. Now, some of our stories that we pass on in family life are fun. Some of them are sad. Some of them are embarrassing. You're like, please don't let him bring that up again. Some are powerful. They're just shaping stories. But we want to be careful to share the right stories and to give glory to God for what he's done on our behalf. Our, our family culture is carried in the stories that we share. God has given us stories in the Bible. That's part of what this passage is saying is pass the stories on. Pass on what God has done. If we're walking with God, then we have stuff to share. We can pass on those stories. If we're getting into his word, we have stuff to share. 
If we're not, then I'd encourage you, get into God's Word. Get to know who God is, how He's worked, what He's done. Be able to pass that on. But as you trust God in real life, you begin to build like this treasure chest of stories. Um, before my third child was born, we, our family was four of us. There was my wife and I and our two, two sons. And um, we have a little Honda Civic that we were driving around in. And it's, it's, a, it's a Honda Civic, a little Honda Civic, you know. And we're, you know, we're a little family. So we, we work well in this Honda Civic. But my son started seeing minivans <laughs> and lots of minivans. And he said, you know, it would be cool if we could have a minivan. And, and so my wife said, well, pray. Let's pray. Why don't we pray and ask God to provide something like that? And so he started praying for a minivan. Well, not long after, we get a phone call. Someone gave us a minivan. My mentor, he, he was getting a new car. Someone gave him some, I think uh, he had got an inheritance. And he um, got a new car. And they didn't need a van anymore. And so they gave it to us. And it was like, Gabriel, God answered that prayer, provided this minivan. Three days later, we found out that we needed a minivan because we had a third, you know, child on the way. And, um, you know, but that, that Honda Civic, it, it could have fit us. It still fits us. Honestly, I still drive it, you know, and it. But, and you know, God didn't have to answer that prayer. He didn't have to provide that minivan. But what that did is it's a story of for him to see, wow, God really provides. You know, he's this is a treasure chest of stories as we learn to trust God live by faith, we have all these stories we can share with our kids or that they can come alongside and see God providing. And knowing God is like that. There's a godly inheritance that provides a treasure that does not fade. That's something you can pass on to walk with God. That holds value. It's not going to fade. It won't diminish because a godly inheritance is not something made by human hands. The second thing, though, on impacting the next generation is to yourself or ourselves live God's commands out, live them out, and then teach them to our children. This is verses 5 through 7. It says, he, commands, he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. In this passage, we see that God wants us to think about how today's obedience actually impacts the generations to come. The choices we make today. The commitments we make, the recommitments we make, that impacts the next generation. It's one day at a time. We're making choices that are part of the legacy that God is really writing, the story that he's writing. There's a generational impact that you can trace through some of the characters in the Bible. One of the key Bible characters where you see a generational ripple effect is, is the story in the family of Jacob in the Old Testament. Just a quick verse, Deuteronomy 10.22 of Jacob. It says of Jacob, your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Jacob, he had a mixed track record. God actually changed the name of Jacob from Jacob, which meant schemer, to Israel, which means one who struggles or struggles with God. Now, Jacob, before he really got on track, he was a schemer, he was a liar, he was a manipulator. But then God got his attention. He turned his life over to God. And his sketchy past was turned around. He began to live life God's way. And God redeemed his story. What happened? Well, a small family grew into this giant group that became as numerous as the stars, as Deuteronomy says. His sons became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, had a major impact on history. God was working his plan through the people of Israel. And God, that's what he does. He takes us just like we are if we'll choose to live for him. And he fulfills his purposes through us. And on into the next generation. 
Another example, there's many more in the Scripture. One not in Scripture, more of a historical example, is the story of Jonathan and, and Sarah Edwards. Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, they were, uh, lived in the, in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards was an American Christian preacher and theologian. He and his wife, Sarah, they worked hard to create in their home an environment, a real healthy, godly environment at home where their 11 kids would really learn God's ways. 11 kids. I think it was like three daughters, eight sons. And there was a, uh, a journalist who studied the impact of, of Jonathan Edwards and his, the generations that would come through him. And I want to show you this. Um, here's a picture of Mr. Edwards. Oh, did you already see him? What a pleasant guy. He looks like a happy guy at home, huh? <laughs> well, he really aimed, they aimed, I guess, their stories about their work at home and just the efforts that they, he and his wife made to raise their kids in a certain way. Well, the impact by the year 1900, okay, a couple hundred years later, a journalist studied to look at the impact that would be made through his family tree. And this is what came from their family. One U.S. vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 missionaries. So in this example, you can see the possibilities. And when I look at the group in both services of, of parents and their children, again, there, we see together the possibilities of what God could do through these children and through the generations, regardless of our past, regardless of if what we have done, our future and the generations that follow will be impacted by the ripple of the choices and the commitments that we make today. God has a remarkable way of weaving the past into a story that's really worth passing on to the next generation. And so it starts with a choice to trust God and obey God here and now. Joshua, one of the leaders in the Old Testament, he made that decision. He set this example for the, for the people of Israel when he said this. Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a firm commitment. When others were wavering on what they were going to do, how they were going to lead their families, Joshua decided, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So regardless of the flow of this culture, because the culture is pulling hard in the ways of the world, and it's opposed to God and His original design, regardless of the flow of the culture, will you say, I will live by God's will and by God's design? I will make that commitment. I will live by God's will and by God's design. If you are entrusted with raising little ones, will you have that same commitment to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you do that, the future and the possibilities really do open up. As a congregation, we want to encourage you to do that. We want to come alongside you to do that. If you're not a part of a local church, we would love to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. If you're, if you're at a point where you're just sorting through what it means to be a Christian, you're not sure what that all means and and this is new to you. We would love for you to, to just get to know God at your own pace here and learn about Him. We'd love to have conversations with you. And so uh, we're really glad that you've come. Our, our worship team is going to come back up to the stage right now. And our ushers, you can also prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. If you would take out that connection card, you'll see it in your, in your bulletin. On the back of that card, you'll see an opportunity for you to For, to pick some next steps from this morning's message. Just some different ways to apply what we've looked at this morning. So the first next step I, I'm, I would encourage you to take is to memorize Joshua 24:15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Another next step, these are on the back of your connection card. By the way, you can drop these cards in the offering basket. 
uh, when it comes around in a few moments. Another next step you might consider taking is to pray faithfully to have a generational impact. And this, this may be something like, what? I, you know, you might be thinking, it's just, it's just me. I don't have to worry about anybody else right now. That's not a prayer I need to pray. I still encourage you, faithfully pray to have a generational impact. The next one would be trust God with my life and the story that he wants to complete through me. Maybe that's the step you need to take this morning. On the far right of the connection card, you'll see an opportunity to um, ask. Uh, it's a request for more information about how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, we would love to uh, introduce you to Jesus. We'd love to share some information with you. And if you're interested, we'd love to have a conversation with you about and clarify what it means to really follow him. And so let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've been able to share together. Thank you so much for your great love for us, that you're working in our lives. Thank you for the picture-perfect ideal of, of what we read in the creation account. And thank you that despite we've all gone our own way and that our, our, our families and our lives, you know, there's this difference from what we read in Scripture and the reality we live. Thank you that you're gracious enough to call us back to yourself dust us off to continue to write a new story in our life. Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord. Would you work? Would you, would you help? Would you strengthen? Would you heal? Would you provide just direction from your word and guidance for our parenting, for our interaction with one another? Lord, I pray for the, again, for the group that was up here. Would you bless those children and their parents? Lord, it's difficult to parent. I pray that they would feel supported through you and through our congregation, Lord. pray for anybody here that's not yet connected with you or maybe not yet connected with a local church. Lord, I pray that, that you would continue to work in their lives, drawing them to yourself, Lord, and to connect with your people at a, at a deeper level, Lord. Bless the offering we're about to receive. We ask you to use